Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast without the mention of whiskey in the title whatsoever. This is Jake, your host, hanging out here at Beguile International Recording Studios, also known as Beguile Brewery. I have a lonely, lonely mic sitting across from me (laughs) because my co-host, Wilson, has abandoned me on this very special episode on Martin Luther King Day as we're recording here at Beguile in Chicago, Illinois, in the Ravenswood neighborhood. So if you're ever in Chicago and want to have a really good beer, come on by Beguile and have an extra pint. Tell them the guys from Keenan Lake sent you, and they will probably charge you full price um, for all of that. But, yeah, Wilson, he is in a meeting, supposedly, and is running, oh, just about an hour and 36 minutes late as we are. Rec- I'm recording here today with a very special guest. My guest today with me, since Wilson's not here, he might pop in, though. We never know if he might just show up and come say, hey, young world, as he always does, to start the podcast. But if you... Uh, if you aren't familiar with our guest today, you should be, because we have a very special one, like I just said. And with me today is Kelly Nakagama, also known as the Whiskey Wonderlust. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the podcast today with just me. Just me all I by know. Myself. It does look so lonely. It does. Like it's a microphone. So, it's like the, that's the equivalent of like the single tier. Like. Ooh. Yeah, Wilson should get a single tier microphone tattooed on his face. <laughs> just running down in the left side of his eye. That'd be great. Well, Kelly and I have basically been waiting for Wilson for the hour and 37 minutes now. And we kind of like recorded our own podcast essentially without having microphones to us, but we'll try to bring back a lively conversation that we had about Portugal, traveling to Europe, whiskey laws and everything and such. But for now, we'll talk about Kelly and her exploits into whiskey and all the travels she does um, with whiskey and wine and shoes and food (laughs) and travel that you just like to do on your website. I don't travel with a lot of shoes. You don't travel with a lot. Yeah, you told me one time how you pack really lightly, and I was like, I think you pack lighter than I do. I have made it, I think, 16 days on a carry-on suitcase, which included, like, two or three floor-length gowns. That's, like, my record. (laughs) Where was that to? Um, I went to Oktoberfest, uh-huh. and so I had, like, my little dress, you know, and then I went to the opera because I'm a huge opera fan. Yeah. So I went to the opera in Munich and then went from there to Zurich and saw the opera and then Geneva and then finished in Spain. So it was, like, this really random – I had all these different, like, layers to wear and dresses and mm-hmm. – yeah, it was a it was a good trip. <laughs> what came first, opera or whiskey? Actually, whiskey. Really? Yeah. Okay, so, I figured like maybe you've listened to opera since you were a kid or something like that. No, so everyone assumes that you know my grandparents introduced me to opera, okay. which is not true. I just stumbled upon it in college, and mm-hmm. the first opera I ever saw was awful. It was like the worst. <laughs> it's still the worst opera I've ever seen. And, um, I had this deal when I went to college that was like, you could go for 12 bucks. And I was like, well, I'll just go and see how it is and whatever. Yeah. And, um, it was just God awful. And so what was the show? I think it was called Regina. It's an English opera, just terrible. Thanks but, Britain. <laughs> yeah. So then I, uh, went to another one and was like, Oh, I could see how this was, would work. Yeah. And then I heard of a group going to New York to see a 17-hour opera. And what? I was like, sign me up. It's a 17-hour opera? Yeah. So it's actually based on the same folklore that Lord of the Rings is based off of. Okay. So yeah. This is all mixed <laughs> in. Is it kind of like fan fiction turned into a play then? Or opera? No. I uh, Like, is Lord of the Rings fan fiction of this opera? Vice versa. No, the opera came first. Oh. Yeah, the opera's from like 1830 Whoa. or something. Okay. But um, it's called The Ring Cycle, so it's... Okay. So I went and saw this in New York and was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I was like all like teary and whatever. 
and then I became I since I was living in a place that had a mm-hmm. less than ideal opera, <laughs> I traveled a lot for opera. But so people always assume yeah. opera came from my grandparents, which is not true. Um, <laughs> and people always assume that I fell into whiskey because you know clearly my dad and my older brothers drank it, which is completely the opposite because I've worked my whole life to get my dad and my older brothers Mm -hmm. to drink whiskey and I've finally gotten them like where they're like oh I understand why you like this like (laughs) that's where we've gotten is not even like this so slowly but surely I'm getting my my dad into whiskey you're better off than me my brother is a pastor and has never drank his entire life oh and my dad likes rum and coke and Keystone, not Keystone, uh, Bushlight, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so, yeah, my mom, she tried Star Wars once, like red wine barrels. She loves red wines. This is like the one whiskey that she, I could like have a go with her and see if she would like it. And she basically like choked it down, almost spit it really? out. She's like, I had Jack Daniels like once in college. <laughs> it's kind of like how she also told me, she's like, I never smoked weed before because I didn't know how to inhale it. Like, <laughs> do you so, breathe? <laughs> yeah, so what did you do? Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, my parents, my family doesn't really drink whiskey at all, so we can relate on that, too. Oh, good. I know. It's it's kind of a bummer, though. Yeah, um, and I think now they're starting to understand. I have I had to, like, think yeah. about the same thing where it was, like, wine. Like, okay, what do they like to drink? How can I take this into a whiskey mm-hmm. and, and find something that they would like? Um, in fact, Star Wars is one of the ones I need to bring the, to them and <laughs> Like, hey, you guys like wine? Try this and see what you think. But you don't have to do that. But no, we'd that's a, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> I oh. just have to like you know smuggle it into Utah. It, it, exactly, so. <laughs> I mean, the first bottle probably in Utah. Oh, I know. I should do that just to say that it was like the yeah. first one there. I'll, I'll make sure that happens. Okay. I'll help you out with that. No, I think my parents didn't even understand. They understood I had a passion for whiskey and kind of beer and whiskey in general, kind of that collaboration. But it wasn't until they came on one of my uh, distillery tours. They're like how do you know all this history about it and stuff? And people were asking, I you know, pointed out my parents were in the crowd because I like to embarrass them at any chance I can get. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a whole entire, I was in the school newspaper in high school and my very last article was called putting the pal back in principle because <laughs> my dad was my high school principal. Oh really? Yeah. So it was all about what I would do. 10 different rules for after I overthrew him as the principal and how, what I would do differently about the school. So yeah. how did your dad feel about that? Not pretty, not like really great, <laughs> but I framed it like during my graduation parties and everything. So everybody came to our house and that was like center stage of everything to be seen with all of that. So yeah, any chance to embarrass my parents, I definitely go about it. But people were asking them questions about me, like, oh, has he always been into whiskey? Has he always drank whiskey? Like, no, this seems to be kind of a recent thing, but <laughs> he always was into history in general, um, which is true. I ended up with a history minor somehow in college, not on purpose, but just took enough classes pretty much here and there. But yeah, the, but the, his- the rich history of whiskey does help you drive a passion to it, which yeah. comes through in like the traveling and the writing and the photos that you, the photos of the shoes especially. But yeah, but we'll, <laughs> well, wait, we'll wait for that conversation until Wilson gets yeah, here. Yeah, I know he has like specific <laughs> whiskey shoe pictures. So, um, but yeah, so I started drinking whiskey when I was really young. Yeah. And so that kind of became a thing. People knew me as like, oh, it's Kelly and she has a whiskey with her because of course she yeah. would. And so... It was, yeah, that was always a thing that I was kind of known for. Was and it just Jack and Jim at that point? It was mostly Jack. Okay. 
um, you know, growing up in Utah, we didn't have a lot of, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of choices. <laughs> Even still, it's so sad. Like, it's getting yeah. better, but they still just... Was it like 400 bar licenses in the entire state or something oh like that? I, I don't even know. That would be... I've heard that. I've heard that multiple times, so I just assume it's true after you hear it a few times from I'll people. I'll go count next time I'm there. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. So did you grow outside of uh, Salt Lake then? Yeah. Okay, area. Yeah, like in a suburb of Salt Lake. So there probably wasn't any, like, whiskey scene, was there? No. Uh-huh. I mean, the amount of... They're a controlled state, so, like, the amount of whiskey that even can get in. Yeah. I've You can go look on their website, yep. and I've literally had every whiskey that the state of Utah Because you can even look up what stores they're in from that website, yeah. correct? Which is great, beneficial yeah. for somebody who wants to know. But you're not getting anything super rare so no. you're like you don't really need to go like hunt it down <laughs> i always thought that maybe that's the fascination of why like coval sold all right in utah because it's like such different whiskey compared to maybe what got in there yeah and people are like do you have like the millet i'm like how do you know about our millet whiskey from utah that is funny and you look up on, on the website and they show me like yeah it's right here the store i'm like oh that's pretty yeah. neat so it's convenient and but now it's kind of like where they're regulating like the yamazaki and stuff mm-hmm. like that because they only get a very limited amount and so that kind of, you know, it, it makes it tough for people who are trying to be into whiskey there. And so, you know, I moved here and this whole other world of whiskey was opened to me. I mean, obviously I knew that yeah. there was like more than 30 whiskeys. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> I knew about it, but it, like I, even the whiskey bars at the time didn't really have access to a lot of that. Yeah. Now there's some good whiskey bars there. Um, but here I've been able to really just... Yeah. go down a rabbit hole that has been years long now. <laughs> what year did you move to Chicago? 2015. Okay. So I'm hitting, this will be my fifth year. So when you first moved here, what were you drinking and what were you looking for? Was it whiskey, cocktail bars, just all around bar experience, different from what you grew up with? Yeah, just everything yeah. because it was all so different. <laughs> you know, just like the fact that I could go buy wine at the grocery store was the coolest oh, thing. Oh, gosh, yeah. I know. yeah. It's those weird things we take for granted, like, it, we can go to a grocery store, or gas station, and buy cold beer. Like, yeah. It, people are like, you can do that here? Like, yeah. It's, it's My friends come into town, and they take pictures of the alcohol at Target. Because they're like, this is so cool. <laughs> it's cheap now, at Target usually, too. Yeah. I was like, this is, you can you can get everything you need, you know? Yeah. Toilet paper and whiskey. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that sounds was, like a bad day. But <laughs> I was taking our new CEO uh, around all the stores in Chicago. He's like, retail here is endless. And yeah. first one, the Binnie's. I think the first Binnie's we went to was a South Loop Binnie's, which is, it, it's like surprisingly big, sneaky big store where, especially the wine section too, we can go over and you, you're overwhelmed with choice by the, uh, obviously. And then you go to Whole Foods and it's a very well curated section, nothing large amounts to it, but good stuff overall, yeah. but nothing too big. Then you go to Jewel or Mariano's, which are our local grocery stores here. It's a pretty big section of whiskey. Like, it's not the greatest thing compared to our liquor stores, but not too bad, not too shabby. Yeah. And you go to Target, and it's even better than that. It's just crazy that, I mean, for someone like me who had to go to a very specific store, who was, it was open on very specific times, Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of them close on the most random days, and, like, the day that you vote, they, like, close. Don't don't make a bad choice while you're drunk. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't get it, so. That's how Trump won. (laughs) <laughs> yes. The liquor stores weren't open. And people made bad choices, the vice versa. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, no, actually, the Elston Target um, here in Chicago is one of the best retailers of liquor in the city really? and the highest profitable retailer of liquor of all Targets in America. <laughs> I don't 
don't know if that's something to be proud of. Very or proud of. <laughs> Chicagoans like to drink. Yeah. And it, yeah, so that's been fun just getting to know the scene here mm-hmm. and being able to really explore whiskey in a way that I never really had access to. And especially like with the single yeah. malt, like that's kind of my thing. And I didn't really know a lot about that until I moved here. So what were you drinking before you moved here? Like obviously we refined your palate a little more than drinking Jack, which I love <laughs> Jack still. I just did a shot of it the other night. So I, yeah, um, I was really into bourbon before mm. I moved and I was like a big fan of just like Buffalo Trace. Just, it was, yeah. I mean, that's such a good whiskey for like the price point and everything. And then I moved here and it's been almost like my whiskey collection is like 90% single malt. Okay. And so, um, and peated, I love my peated stuff. Yeah. I was going to bring peated stuff for Wilson and make him drink it, but. Yeah, yeah Wilson's a little iffy on the scotch these days. Well, I know, always. I was going yeah. to force <laughs> I was going to make him like it. I always forget to until we have like a scotch drinker on the podcast and like, oh yeah, he doesn't really know much about scotch and doesn't, he's just started investing like his palate into that within the last, really probably less than the last year. Um, kind of as I've grown with it, some people have offered him more tastings of various scotches and all over the country too. And then also meeting some Scotsmen as well. So I think it's, for me, I like scotch and single malt because there's a little bit more experimentation. I, well, I guess really what I like, I mm. kind of tend to like kind of weird whiskeys where yeah. they're like unique in, yeah. in whatever way. And I think that for me, like bourbon and rye, they tend to have so, all of them are so similar. I'm, it's not to say that there aren't good bourbons mm-hmm. and there mm-hmm. aren't, you know, people who are doing good things. But I think that at the end of the day, the flavor profiles tends to be so similar mm-hmm. where I like being able to kind of dissect a, a single malt and figure out, well, why, where's this funky thing coming from? What's this briny thing? What's, the, you know, what kind of peat are you using and that kind of stuff 100 i mean obviously the climate here um in the middle part of the country is pretty consistent all throughout obviously there's some colder parts chicago's a little bit colder than places that just three hours south of here but overall our climate's pretty consistent that four seasons um affect all year around but in scotland and i wanted to bring this question up to you as well because i was just at a whiskey tasting maybe a month ago and part of the conversation was about how climate doesn't affect whiskey that's who said that I don't want to say who. No. <laughs> no, I do. I do. But I want to like, I haven't had a chance to have that one-on-one conversation yet. Cause I had a big whiskey tasting. Uh, it was a curated event, about 35, 40 people there. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Because obviously the impact of the air and like the peat bogs in different parts of the country too can affect, would affect your whiskey. Cause it's all an organic experience. But, I mean, aging is a huge thing of Exactly. Climate. I mean, that's the same, that's the reason why Kavalon in Taiwan is mm. releasing these three and four. That's why we release three, four-year-old whiskey. Yeah, because same Because our idea. temperature fluctuation is so grand in a single day that when we go, we've done six, seven, eight-year experiments, but too much of that oaky char taste and the wine barrel tannins get into the whiskey and almost dilute the juice. Yeah. And, I mean, you look at the climate of Scotland where it's like, what, like 50 degrees year-round mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and... You're just not getting that type of like barrel, um, I guess, influence mm-hmm. that you are in a place like Kentucky or Chicago yeah. or anywhere where you're going from 160 degrees, you know, yeah. from winter to summer. And that, I mean, obviously, every grain tastes different when it comes from different parts of the country, too. You can have yeah. corn from various parts of the U.S., and there's different flavors to it if you just eat the kernel. 
Yeah. And obviously you'd think that would be playing the factor when you're mashing and fermenting and distilling your grains. But this was part of the conversation. And I wondered, I was like, do they mean just the actual place where you distill, like physically where your distillery is or the whole encompassing effects of whiskey making when it comes to the mashing, fermenting, distilling, and then barrel aging too? Because, I mean, I would think weather plays quite an effect into yeah. it. And I've asked a lot of people this question, never trying to like, you know, give out who props conversations topic and you could probably figure it out by a certain bottle releases coming here very soon but um because <laughs> it's all a part about breaking down stereotypes myths and stuff like that of whiskey and all those various other uh components when it comes into making the juice but i would say weather plays in a giant part of it yeah. just seeing the effect here in chicago uh, where i've you know a lot of distilleries they have colder climates more all year round because they're in warehouses that aren't yeah. heated so it's typically usually cooler and then in the summertime those warehouses get up to 110 degrees and they have barrels aging in there they have machines operating all year round that would defect it by the end of the day in my opinion it kind of speeds up the accelerates the barrel aging process and marty duffy brought it up on the conversation uh, i can't remember if we actually recorded or not as we mentioned earlier off the microphone <laughs> he has some long-winded conversations sometimes but he was talking about how uh, distilling inside of a city like this, how much air pollution we have and how that could affect barrels at the end of the day. I never even thought about that, but I obviously that yeah. would be... You think it would come into play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's something really amazing about being able to see where your whiskey is made. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of going to Scotland also because Scotland's awesome and beautiful, <laughs> but, um, you know, seeing the actual people behind it, meeting those people, seeing the the land around it and I'm not just in Scotland but everywhere mm -hmm. here it, it's really fun to like see these city distilleries versus you know places like I just went to MGP in Indiana which was a total like just mind-blowing experience compared to Scotland and a lot of places I've been and I actually haven't been to Kentucky oh, really? <laughs> which is like kind of sad but I've been to Ireland and seen yeah. the distilleries there, and I'm going to Japan in a few months and trying nice. to hit up Yamazaki and a few of those distilleries. And um, I really think that that kind of tells a little bit of the story of what you're drinking. Mm -hmm. And the same goes with, like, wine. Like, you know, seeing these wineries and seeing the people that are behind it, and I think that's such a unique experience. And to, it really finishes the story of, of why what you drink tastes like what you're what you're drinking absolutely um when did all that traveling start and begin for you when you started going to see distilleries um or even when when did the influence of traveling come come into effect in your life because for me it's really been an important thing oh same and it was I, I don't know about you growing up in utah but for me growing up in iowa it was always about wanting to escape and see what else is yeah, out there absolutely and i had a, i was really big into going to new york because mm. it was such a huge contrast in every way and uh so i Went to, I used to fly to New York like for the weekend to go see an opera. Really? <laughs> and like go to like a tasting menu or some crazy restaurant and hit a whiskey bar and then fly back. Mm. All and by so, yourself? Yeah, yeah. I travel a lot alone. And I did have a really funny, I was at a, an opera once in New York and ordered a scotch at intermission. And this guy next to me was easily in his like mid 80s. And he's like, excuse me, um, you know, I was. 21 or 22 yeah. at the time. And he's like, excuse me, did, did you just, did you just order a, a scotch? 
It's like, yeah. He's like, are, are you here by yourself? <laughs> it's like, yeah. And he turns, he points to his wife and yeah. says, when she dies, can I marry you? <laughs> and I was just like, um, yes, no. Oh. Like, what do you say to that? And he's just like, I just can't believe that you're like an opera fan and you drink scotch. I'm like, yep. That's awesome. It's like, like the best okay. compliment you can get. Yeah. So, and then I kind of realized like, oh my God, I'm such a like 90 year old man in disguise <laughs> because I like this stuff that like, you know, I drink whiskey that's yeah. like, peated. And I, I don't drink just peated whiskey, but um, I was back in Utah over New Year's Eve mm-hmm. and was drinking um, Ardbeg. And then I went out to a bar and was like, oh God, what am I going to drink? If I like, I started with Pete, I got to keep going. So yeah. the bar only had Laphroaig 10. So I was drinking Laphroaig. And the guys I, I was with were like, you smell like my grandpa. I'm like, thank you? <laughs> like, I don't know. So All those wonderful things that women have to put up with from men in the industry. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, what are you drinking? Why does it smell like that? And then I started making them drink it, and they were not I, Yeah, because if you don't drink it, and you have a pea of whiskey open up, that, that's a whole different explosion to your senses. Yeah, I, it was maybe not the um, nicest thing I could have done, because they were all drinking... I, Champagne and different yeah. beers, you know. I'm just like, here, it's have New some Eve. Never really drink anyway. Don't worry about it. Wreck, yeah. their, wreck their palates. Yeah, and like, have fun with your, you know, cores yeah. after <laughs> drinking Laphroaig. But I mean, like, so how did you how, how did you get into exploring like peat scotch at 21? Um, I had a friend who was into scotch, okay. and I asked him because I had never really been exposed to it, and yeah. so I asked him, "Hey, can you take me?" In, to somewhere and teach me about scotch. And he actually, the first one he gave me was Laphroaig 10. Mm -hmm. And I, he kind of gave me this look like, you know, here it is. And here's, you know, here's what to do here. And I drank it. He's like, well, what do you think? Uh It's like, that was amazing. He's like, wait, what? And I think he did not think that was what I was going to like. Because most of us at that age don't really have that palate for it whatsoever. (laughs) Or ever. Or ever, yeah. yeah. People still can't believe they come to our apartment and see all the scotch we have around, just can't drink it, or you'll make certain cocktails for people at big parties, and like, how do you drink, you know, this bourbon or this rye? Just, they don't get that whiskey development whatsoever. I think, and I, as much as I like peated scotch and I, I mm-hmm. appreciate it, I do, that's one of my biggest hurdles with um, single malt is trying to get people to realize that single malt is not just that peaty, smoky flavor. Yeah. And I'm sure, do you ever have issues? Because you're like, oh, it's a single malt. and Yeah, people are always like, is it smoky? Is it uh, overwhelmingly spicy? All those stereotypes that people think that every single malt is because Lafroy 10 is one of the best-selling whisk- scotches in America. So in McAllen's, go straight to there, where it has like more of a smokier quality to it versus not understanding that there's an entire country with all these different regions that make various levels of tasting whiskey. Yeah. And yeah, so I do encounter that with saying this is a single malt and people are like, oh, so it's like a scotch. And like, I mean, yeah, it's the basis of scotch, but it's what we're trying to do as an Australian distillery to create something completely different by using Australian grains. And these wine barrels that we barrel age men, like, well, what makes it Australian whiskey? I'm like, everything I just told you and <laughs> yeah. they're like not, not trying to be condescending just being letting them know that like most definitions of whiskey for individual countries is about using the, the individual components the organic components of that country itself and that's what our company is trying to give and then you taste it and people still say yeah it tastes kind of like scotch well, yeah it does and but might be like bourbon do you like rice and like yeah and I'll try this other whiskey that we make which has uh, uh, 
wheat in it to calm down some of that single malt component and make it a little bit more rounded out and smoother. Like, oh, I like this one better. Mike, of course you do, because you have American palate. (laughs) And that goes back to what we are kind of talking about, too, is I really wish that whiskey labels had more information because people... No, people obviously know what they like, but they don't know why. And I think 100%. there's there's so many people who are like, well, I like this brand of even bourbon versus this one, and not really knowing if it's a weeded bourbon or yeah. if, you know, well, it's the Mashville is more rye or, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things. And if people, you know, us like whiskey nerds know that, and we understand, well, oh, this is why you like this. So we can direct them yeah. to another similar whiskey. But I think that really the whiskey labels not having more information is almost a disservice Yeah, because that helps people lead them to what else they will like. Yeah. And they're not buying a label. They're buying what's inside. Yeah. We actually, so Taylor was on the podcast we just released this morning. Um, we had a very in-depth conversation about that because his, he's a very, I guess, I mean, not out for distilleries, but has a problem with distilleries not being transparent enough in that same sense, because we don't even know where the juice is being made. Yeah. So, like, for whiskey nerds, we know what's in the inside of the bottle. We know the mash bill for the most part, as long as the distillery shares that information. Usually know what we're buying. But there's distilleries that are all folklore distilleries that are put in front of labels, and so the average consumer has no idea what they're buying or where they're buying from. And then, then they think, well, it's owned by Buffalo Trace, so it has to be made Buffalo Trace. Well, that's not true. For all, I mean, they might go into um, more of, like, the overall owner, which could be Sazerac or Beam or Diageo, whoever it might be, and people are like, wait, what are those people? Yeah. They're like, oh, those are the people that own everything. And it's like, technically five companies own every just every spirit <laughs> in the world. And people are like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very confusing, and it's overwhelming if you're not necessarily inside this industry or connected to someone within it to explain you the whole three-tier system of operating a distillery. But like, going back to the main point is that I think 100% distillery should be honest with the inside of the bottle because that's how you're going to attract people. They come, yeah. come back to that one. Or even if, let's say, you have a, a bourbon made of, uh, just for example, corn, rye, and wheat, and then you release a rye and a weed whiskey. That can let your people know, hey, come to try this bottle too because you might really enjoy it. And just keep having those customers come back and back, and eventually you'll build fan bases from it. Yeah, and I... I I totally agree. And, you know, I, so I run, I don't think you mentioned this. I run the Women Who Whiskey Club oh, of Chicago. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, it's okay. I have so many titles. So know? many <laughs> titles. It should have been the first one to lead with. Most. Yeah, so I run um, Women Who Whiskey Chicago, who, which is an international club. It started in New York, mm-hmm. I think, in, like, 2011. So um, it's now in, like, 25 cities around the world. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. I took over the Chicago chapter about two years ago and really just went full-blown nerd, as as I love to do. And um, I've really tried to provide a lot of information and background Mm. when we do events and really kind of help tell that story and bridge that gap when I am inviting people to do events with us. And also, that's one of the things I like to focus on is, like, there's more, like, whiskey is such a broad term, and I really want people to understand that there's... Just because you, again, you had the Freud and you think you don't like peat or you don't like single malt or yeah. that, you know, you had a rye once that was like too spicy for your palate doesn't mean that like you have to cut them all off. Definitely. And so I hope I've done a, a good job at trying to do well-rounded events and really kind of get people into the background and the knowledge of, of what can actually be in mm-hmm. whiskey and why that why and how that affects the taste. When you, 
so yeah, women and whiskey in all transparency too, because that's what we're all about here. I guess that's kind of become the theme <laughs> of our podcast over the last uh, few months or so. Uh, so Kelly and I have done events together for Women Who Whiskey and then Star Wars, which is the company I work for. But it's an amazing operation. I'm actually planning another event with Stacy out in Long Beach. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so we've met over the last year or so. But yeah, awesome organization. It's a great way of like painting the strokes of distilling or uh, of whiskey in general, kind of breaking down what every whiskey can be, um, what the individual components of it make it up. But when you have members, because I've seen members there, but just for everybody else to know, like, are people coming in that are connoisseurs? Are they novices? Somebody who wants to learn more about whiskey? Like, what's the average uh, group member like? It's It seems to be across the board. So okay. we have some people who are like, yeah, I like whiskey just in cocktails, which is fine. Yeah. And then we have people who are like, oh, I really want to nerd out on everything. Or some people come because their friends wanted something to do. Okay. And so um, I kind of approach every event with like kind of an angle that like you can be at any point in your whiskey journey. Yeah. You know, I mean, some events I think are more geared towards people who want to know the nitty gritty, which is fine. And like, those are the people who are signing up for those types of events. Mm. Um, but I try to cater to everyone. Like we do a, a bunch of cocktail events too. Okay. I am super lazy and <laughs> don't, it's not true. I don't make cocktails. Like it's not, I'm, I'm kind of a messy cook. So like yeah. when I make cocktails, everything gets sticky. Yeah. And it just like is a mess. So Same. I hardly ever make cocktails. Also, it's like so much work when I could just pour whiskey in a glass and call it a day. Just get some whiskey and some soda water and you get an eyeball. Just, no, that's just boring. Why wouldn't I just drink the whiskey then? Then use tonic water. Get a, get a grape fruit garnish or an orange garnish. Mix <laughs> then it I up. have to get my cutting board out and it's just that's so much work <laughs> when I just like I could just grab a little glass pour whiskey in. Yeah. Or no. I feel like, you know, if I want something on like the sweeter end, I'm going to go mm. for like a sherry aged whiskey or something. I have all my bases covered just drinking whiskey straight sure do <laughs> I, I i know how you feel then I'm, every once in a while i'm like you know what sounds good an aperol spritz you know i love like a penicillin or there mm. are good whiskey cocktails and that's yeah. like when i go out i tend to go do those mm -hmm. but if i'm gonna drink at home i'm so i try to do some whiskey events and it's kind of funny like when they're focused on cocktails because <laughs> i'm just like yeah i'm never gonna make this ever again but i'm sure these guys will yeah <laughs> Do you usually have bartenders come lead that experience then? Yeah, or like if the reps are oh. have bartending, you know, experience and stuff. Because we've done some actual like cocktail courses, and mm. we did a fun one with um, Sazerac where we brought in like the Sazerac rye, and you know, it was I think it was an old fashioned that you could make with either bourbon rye or single malt, which okay. was kind of fun. Yeah. So like people could see how that how the spirit was changing the taste. So we, I try to do stuff like that where it's like, what are you going to, you're not going to open four whiskeys at home unless you're crazy. Like maybe I, <laughs> depending on the day I might. I, I sort of think there's more and more people like us every day, like <laughs> while searching the internet. Like, okay. Well, it, I don't know. It's like, we're fortunate enough that bottles are given to us, retrade bottles, this yeah. and that. But then you go on the internet, you see people like twice the size of your stuff. And I'm like, I get these bottles all for free. <laughs> like, how much thousands, how many thousands of dollars are you spending on your bottles? Yeah, it, I know you're just a guy that has a good collection. Yeah. There, yeah. There are some people where like you get there, like you see on Instagram, like, Oh, this is my whiskey closet. I'm like, where do you put the rest of your life? <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah. But yeah, I do like to do like whiskey events where we're comparing things that maybe they didn't get a chance to 
open at the same time yeah. or um, comparison stuff. And so, and then really just so I can nerd out on that. Uh, can you explain too, like your, the, the breakdown of your events too, how that usually works for your group? Um, Cause you have over 300 members. We have over 700 people on our, in Chicago. List. Yes. So it's Jeez. just in Chicago and it's all women. Um, we do some events for men, but like really the problem keeps being that it's a good problem to have is mm-hmm. that we pretty much limit the events to about 30 people. So yeah. we can sell that out with all women and like, you can't really have a club called women who whiskey and then just let guys come all the time. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. The- <laughs> sorry. I was there one time. Well, I mean, talking like it's different, for a long like, time when you're hosting yeah, it. And-, I, and even to then I was like, I wish my, my coworker who just my counterpart in New York, um, she like, it'd been cool if she could have came and done this too, in a way, just like all, all women focused thing, but yeah. And we've done like a, a festival where it was all women brand ambassadors oh, and cool. it was really small. There was like eight brands, yeah. each pouring like three or four whiskeys, all women. And then it was all women invited, which was really cool because they, the brand ambassadors said they got a ton of questions that like really in-depth questions mm-hmm. that they maybe wouldn't at a normal whiskey festival cool. because I, I mean, I, I don't, mean to talk you know shit on like the the man whiskey drinker but i think sometimes we're terrible we're all terrible people yeah some sometimes they can get a little like oh i know what it is and you don't know because you're You're a woman and so we it was really nice for both the ambassadors and for the people there to not have to deal with that do they think that some people in the crowd just kind of felt more comfortable talking yeah okay like you didn't feel uh, they said I had a lot of women say they felt like they didn't have to they could ask whatever question they wanted because they weren't yeah, feeling just, weird. Yeah, you know? not to have to deal with like, the bullshit of like some stupid answer at the end, where you're yeah. more talking down to the individual than explaining <laughs> the correct answer. Exactly. So we do. As I just um, did to you right now, I guess. <laughs> technically. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> but uh, so we do events about once a month is my goal. It actually ends up being like twice a month. Yeah. And it's just because we have people that want to work with us, which is a good, again, a good problem to have. So um, I usually do an event twice a month. And I have people sign up through our email list and Eventbrite and mm-hmm. um, take, they buy stuff. They buy the ticket before and it's everything from food pairings to cocktail classes to tastings and stuff. Definitely. You know, and I thought the really cool thing about the one event that we did together was seeing the age range of people. Yes. It was like late 20s to mid 60s maybe. Yeah. And every one of them has their own story with whiskey, their own passion behind it. There's, I feel like it was a pretty... And, and like intelligent group of whiskey drinkers of that one. Um, yeah. Maybe because of the location of where it was at. And it's also such a unique spirit to have too that probably your novice drinkers like, what, what's Australian whiskey? Why would I come to that? But somebody who wants but to really explore out there. I think that we get both with stuff that they haven't heard of. Mm, like mm. I think that, because I kind of worry about that sometimes when I'm doing a, working with a brand that people may not have heard of. Okay. But that's why I kind of, I don't know if you read the email that I sent out yeah. about yeah. And I really kind of gave background and Definitely. people just get curious oh. and really they end up being the best way to go try stuff. It's true. And like we did an event with Ardbeg and I told everyone, you know, if you don't know about Ardbeg, it's, you know, peated whiskey. It may not be in your style, yeah. but this is the best way to go find out. Because you're going to try the whole range. And I said, don't be afraid to say, oh, this is not for me. And the mm. brand isn't going to be offended. They no. understand that that's not for everyone. Yeah. And so uh, we had a bunch of people come. And at the end, I asked, hey, what did, what did everyone think? And we had like a half of them were like, yeah, maybe not. The other half were like, yeah, I would totally go buy this. And cool. 
Um, the funny part about that event is we had uh, Mickey Heads. He's yeah. the ma- uh, distillery manager outside of out of Scotland. He came to the, to do the tasting oh, and cool. walk everyone through. And you know he's this big. Have you met him? No, he's like I this, have two pictures of him. He's yeah. like yeah, this big burly Scottish guy, and he was running kind of late, so he was a little flustered when he got there. And we're all sitting down, just like everything spelled out in front of us. You know, he goes to walk in the door and st- takes a step back. And goes, they're all women. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, the club is called Women Who Whiskey. <laughs> he's like, but they're all women. I was like, yeah, yeah, and it's I was in the like, title. <laughs> So is this going to be an issue? He's like, I, you know, I've, I've never done an event with all women. And okay. I'm like, haven't you been doing this for like 40 years? He's like, yeah. Okay. Well, they're just like men, except for they're women. So just do it the same <laughs> way you would with a group of guys, but just don't think about that they're all women. He's like, well, do they like it? Have they had it? Like, mm. I said, you have all of the above. Yeah. Go for it. And he's like, okay, I think I can do this. And I'm like, Oh my God! Here's this, you know, big burly Scottish guy. He's getting intimidated by 40 women, and so that was that was pretty funny. That's great. No, that's great for the experience too. To like, to have that outlet to go out there and not be afraid to talk about it for anybody. Because there's, there's, I'm sure there's men that are probably intimidated by people too that know a lot about whiskey and they don't ask the weird question of like, is this peated? And if it's an American whiskey, mm-hmm. the answer is probably no for the most part. But because um, you always have the, those people that are a little intimidated by the situation that you're in. For me, it's always like, I'm like, I'm just a guy who likes whiskey and reads about it a lot. You could do the same thing, essentially. Yeah. You just keep trying stuff and you keep reading about things. It all starts to make sense. There's a thread line through everything where, where whiskey originates to um, over in Europe to what we're doing now here in the States. Yeah, and that, that's really, for me, I I feel like you're actually in the industry. You know, I'm not really, I just do this all for fun. And no, you're in, you're in, <laughs> I feel like pseudo, pseudo in you're uh, you're on the internet. <laughs> I think but everyone, that everyone can claim that. <laughs> but. That is true. Um, so yeah, I go a little more to you. When you came to Chicago, what did you find most surprising about what we were drinking here, how things were being made? Cause that was a really great 2015. So we were already kind of in like the cocktail burst here of making, of having a lot of great cocktail bars start popping up all over the city. Yeah, the co- cocktails, and, I mean, just, just the bar scene itself. Yeah. It's so different than it is in Utah. So just the fact that, like, any type of mm-hmm. whatever you want to go drink, there's a bar for. You it's know, true. like, even if it's, like, whiskey cocktails, not just cocktails. <laughs> like, they're just a very specific place for whatever you want. And I, th- I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, there's still even, like, if you want to go drink whiskey or if you're like just going for bourbon like there's bars that you go to because of their bourbon selection versus like their other types of selection or there's like gin bars like it's so cool that you we have everything we could ever i literally have a wood fire oven pizza place to be paired with light beers and cocktails on my street (laughs) oh my god yeah i mean anything you want there's so many breweries there's so many like Mm -hmm. it's also the other component like well i want beer but i also want to be able to go watch football (laughs) like you know this is what or i want to i went to a bar not too long ago that there was every i was the only person there without a dog and everyone had their dog there. And I was like, so this is where you go if you have a dog or yeah. want to meet someone with a dog. It was That's really, so I was like, I did not know this existed, but this is interesting. Yeah, it is. No, it's where have, uh, where have your travels taken you so far? I mean, you know, you've mentioned Scotland, Ireland, 
you went to Italy recently too. That was yes. more wine experience, obviously. That was just for opera. So I saw opera. my 100th opera yeah. <laughs> in La Scala is the opera house in Milan. So I, uh, that was an opera trip. I went to Belgium last year. Oh, yeah. And I found a whiskey distillery there. Really? And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're going to tour it. This is going to be so great. And then it ended up that it was a private place, mm. and they let me tour it. But they said they wanted me to write about it on my website, but I could only write about Geneva, and I could not write about their whiskey. And so that was... I was going to ask you, is it mostly Geneva, or is it whiskey, too? Or I mean, yeah, they, like, let me try the whiskey, and they're like, but you can't talk about that. And I was like, so I have a whiskey travel website. <laughs> I don't know where I'm, like, you want me to fit this in, but um, it was a barrel-aged Geneva, but they were... They were barely aging them like 15, 17, and 21 years. I think. Really do you know cool. Dave Schmier? No. From I Deadwood. Um, he helps run the Indie Spirits. I think he's like helping bring that to the U.S. Really? Yeah. He was talking about some Belgium Geneva that's barrel aged. Uh, yeah. Because that's what they like said. Like, well, we're, we're in the process of getting it to the U.S. and we want people to know about it. And Does it's it like, have kind of like a single malt taste to it as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think, it, yeah, I think it's I'll the same. I'll have to like, we'll have to connect it. Yeah. Because that was, yeah, it was really interesting because. They t- they said it was kind of like the the bridge in between gin and whiskey. Mm. And my friend that was with me is a, a very big gin drinker, and she she did feel like oh well this kind of reminds me of gin. And I was saying it reminded me of like a lowland single malt, okay, like real light, mm-hmm. um, kind of like grassy. Um, so, but then when I actually came home and put it side by side with Glen Kinchy, mm-hmm. it was so different, but in, I mean, I guess you could, it yeah, was no similar, but yeah, yeah. it was very interesting. No, Belle Asian is was kind of a fascination. That started like around that 2015, 2014 mark here in the U.S. And people started to, uh, only barrel aging experimenting, I would say three to six months, kind of on the long end for it. Yeah. It's kind of when we started doing it at Koval. And I remember the first time we tasted it, like, wow, this is fantastic. Because we put it in used rye barrels, so brought a little bit more of the spicy qualities out yeah. to it. Um, and you can make some really fun cocktails with it. You can treat it as a whiskey or as a gin and versatility in that sense of making even just weird, uh, just Negroni takes by yeah. not using Campari. <laughs> and using more things like Aperol. So I judged a cocktail competition oh. back in Utah sponsored by Campari. Yeah. And I think I had like 15 or 16 Campari cocktails all in a row. And I don't think I've been able to drink it since because they kind of just like, I don't know if I tasted anything the rest of the day. Yeah. It, was, it was a long day. I've documented on this podcast before my long night out of doing Campari shots. Oh, that doesn't yeah, sound like a very good idea. Don't do that. Don't ever do yeah. that to yourself. But I was out with um, some degenerate coworkers, and one of them, he said this is what him and his bartender friends at the old bar he used to work at did. And so we did that one night, and I was sitting at my toilet just wanting to throw up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh. Couldn't throw up because I didn't really drink that much, to be honest. But it's like, I just want this taste out of my mouth. <laughs> You're, like, scratching your tongue. Yeah. Make it. Stop. Pretty much. It's like forcing my fingers down my throat. You know, it's awesome stuff like that. But, yeah. I think so, I'd rather drink Fernet all night than Yeah, like, yeah. Fernet, I can do. Have you heard of Fernet and Cola? I don't really like Coke okay. and any of, like, the Cola taste. Okay. So I never did, like, the Jack and Coke thing. I'm just always. Straight Jack. Just, yeah. Just hardcore straight. So I don't know. I don't really like. The fern- I like Fernet. I don't like yeah. the Fernet and Cola thing. I would definitely go with Fernet over most li- liqueurs, aperitifs, um, if, I, if I had to stick one all night. Yeah, that, that also would be a long night. Or Aperol. Yeah, I could do that, I think. 
But, you know, why not just drink whiskey? Drink and whiskey just... <laughs> seems like a better choice. There's a little more flavor to it. You won't drink it yeah. as fast either. Um, yeah, so what's, uh, for like well, your Scotland trips and your Ireland, or Scotland trip and Ireland trips, what did those kind of come about? What were, you, what were you searching to do on those? Go to distilleries or write about new things you haven't tried before? Well, I went to, I spent Christmas in London okay. one year. I have a bad habit of traveling over Christmas by myself. I love it. I've... I call it a Grinch getaway because I'm kind of like, a, the, I don't do Christmas. So I went to London and I was so close to mm-hmm. Scotland. I'm like, well, I can't not go. So I went for like two days. I was like, this is the coolest place ever. I have to come back. So I actually went back two months later okay. and uh, went to Glen Kinchy, the because it's like the closest distillery outside of Scotland or of uh, Edinburgh where I was. Mm. And then went back two months later after that and went to Tullibardine. And then the next year I was in Ireland and I was like, you know, we're, I'm so close. <laughs> I can just jump over. I can literally see it from some points. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was like, well, I mean, not that there was anything wrong with Ireland because yeah. that's amazing. But I went over to Glasgow and then went to Glengoyne. Mm. And then I'm going in October this year to do like a full distillery. Yeah. Yeah. The whole shebang. Trying to hit 15 distilleries in nine days. Ambitious. Yeah. I, but if anyone can do it, I think it's it's me, right? I think so. <laughs> I don't, yeah, but when you go there, do you, like, are you wanting to talk to the distillers? Um, what do you find differently than when you're drinking it there versus just having a bottle at home or in a bar, per se? Um, like I was saying, I really like seeing the where they're making it, you know, what part of, what's surrounding, you know, and I, I'm going to get to Isla this fall, which will be amazing to nice. see all that stuff. But um, really, I haven't been able to talk to a lot of the, I think this time I'm going to actually okay. reach out and see if I can talk to people. But it's just kind of like seeing the whole surroundings and like some mm-hmm. of them are so much smaller, I think, <laughs> than you think. Yeah, right. And it's so cute, like these little places pumping out tons of whiskey <laughs> and everyone's so passionate about it because this is like their life, like yeah. in these little towns where like this like is entire, what we do. I love the whole entire community there is all connected to the whiskey industry every, yeah. every some part some part of it if, yeah. it's, if it's just you know pulling a wagon with some grains inside of it it's, that grain is going to a distillery for the most part oh it's and that's fascinating i think just to see there's there's i one of the things when i get super sentimental about whiskey is i think about the amount of time and amount of energy that goes into the whiskey that we drink yeah and from everyone like you said whoever's growing your grains to getting them to the distilleries to all of this stuff and yeah. then especially when you're drinking stuff that's aged for a while, it just like hangs out in this barrel. And it's so cool to think about the amount of time and even people check that barrel all the time. And that's just like someone's job. And then we're going to go drink it. And it's so cool to think about the amount of time that it takes and effort and energy to just making a spirit. Yeah. It's quite amazing. That's always something I always try to detail and highlight to people that have never experienced that by going to a distillery or maybe just really aren't that far along, as you said, like in your whiskey drinking journey and trying new things. But the amount of effort of people, the amount of hands that has to go into creating one single bottle, it's there's a there's a little romanticism that comes to it at the yeah. end of the day when you're really, it's a labor of love for many people. Um, when it gets to me, like in my job to go out and sell it and talk about it, I always want to like show appreciation to the ones that really provided to it that are really doing the day-to-day activity of producing what we love about this world, which is whiskey in that yeah. sense. And it's, it's when you get to go see it hands on, even at the smallest little distillery, if you can go like to just to your little local craft distillery, that's maybe on a farm outside of your town or fortunate enough here where we have, I think, I think Taylor said the other day on the podcast and within two hours, there's like 60 distilleries in Ch- really? Chicago. Yeah. Um, 
because I guess that counts like maybe journeyman in those. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes off pretty far out, and that expands, you know, up even into Iowa. Well, not Iowa, but like Wisconsin, Wisconsin definitely, and then into Indiana, Michigan too. Which and obviously all of Illinois for the most part, but Illinois is a long state to drive down. I'm not sure if you've ever done it. I never really have. But I hope I never have to. Why? It's, it's beautiful here in the Midwest. What? No, I don't need to see. Uh, for like... all your traveling, you don't travel <laughs> to the Midwest. Well, I don't have a car, That's so true. I don't. Like, I would if I. There's trains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can rent a car. Yeah, I, I don't actually... have a driver's license. I don't have a train license. <laughs> I would love to go drive to Kentucky because just yeah. to see the there's maybe much to see actually yeah, it's like pretty <laughs> flat and there's a lot of windmills really or powered windmills oh yeah like the the tech ones in in middle of Indiana you do you get like the tumble tumbleweeds because like in like when you drive bad. through Utah like yeah. you'll literally see like tumbleweeds like am I on a Western film what yeah. is this no you don't get that but I know what you mean I used to live in New Mexico so oh yeah, yeah. you get the like no, you just more get like dirt and corn stalks maybe here and there. Dead deer. Sounds fun. Like <laughs> it's not much to see on your way down to Kentucky, but once you get there, you just pass over the bridge and you're right in the middle of downtown Louisville, and then just you're an hour away from some of the best distilleries in the entire world. I'm hoping to try and do that sometime this year. Yeah, you know, should. just fitting it all in. Because there's amazing bars. I mean, that whole they've kind of built their whole you know travel destination, whatever you want to call it, uh, to, of Kentucky based around the bourbon industry. Yeah. Um, so now downtown has hotels that are dedicated to just like whiskey. Oh, wow. Yeah. They have bars and cocktail bars, whiskey bars. A lot of breweries even now have, are doing so much, um, relationship experimentation with distilleries too, with all the barrel age brews happening down there. Huh. Copper and Kings is like right by downtown, which is a brandy distillery, but they have amazing facility there for like a bar and going to hang out, have like their own Airbnbs dedicated around, yeah, whiskey traveling, whiskey commerce. Isn't there a Louisville Slugger Museum too? There is. <laughs> I've been to it many times. Really? Is it really worth going to? Uh, I have been since I was a kid. My grandparents lived in Louisville. Oh, so okay. yeah, I have many bats with my name on it. <laughs> 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 I grew up in like a baseball family, uh, so I feel yeah. like I would have to stop there just to say that I did. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool when you're a kid. I guess it's probably worth going. And then Angel's Envy's right there. Okay. Um, so can I go to Angel's Envy first and then just wander around half so. drunk and look at bats? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's AAA baseball. I think it's AAA. AAA or AA baseball stadium is oh. attached to one of the best breweries in America. Yeah. Really? It, yeah. So it's right. It's right there in the middle of downtown, and then right across the street is Angel's Envy. There you go. I have my whole trip planned out. I yeah. go see a baseball game and yeah. uh, drink some whiskey. Why does the name of the brewery escape my mind? But something is an A and a B. I don't know why I can't think of it right now, but I apologize to Random you guys. Random string of letters. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But um, you can just look up Louisville Baseball Stadium, and it's attached right to it. Okay. Yeah, and they have good barbecue there, too, and good beer. And bands that play on Fridays. Wow. <laughs> I think. <laughs> don't hold me to that. But, no, it is like a whole kind of a trip you can have based around just – going through whiskey and like really eating really good food too at restaurants um in downtown outside of downtown in certain smaller towns that are based around the distilling industry again it's i think it's the same idea you know that that whole industry is yeah totally revolved around whiskey and it's kind of fascinating that whiskey has become such a big thing Mm -hmm. and do you think that that's going to kind of burst anytime soon i always i mean people talk about that i think it's a weekly conversation that we have I, th- I personally do because everything else has I mean, housing market bursts, you know, breweries. It's kind of 
treading off there where like the you have to be very competitive to stay and pay for it and advance and build and evolve because it's expensive to do such a thing you can't just be complacent when everybody else is trying and experimenting on so many different high levels especially in this city when it comes to brewing i think the stealing will too because great juice will prevail in my opinion and people that keep making whiskey that's only being barrel aged for a couple of years and some smaller barrels it just aren't going to get the flavors to it at the end of the day now that they can transition into other types of distilleries or maybe make their bar a very featured prominent spot where you can kind of hang on there and then be 10 years later you have some longer barrel aged stuff and figured out how to way to run your stills in a very smooth operation it could exist but i think certainly there's so many balls out there on the shelf that we can't we can all exist at some point but also at another point people are going to trail off I, I see that, but I also wonder if it will evolve more to mimic the wine industry mm. where there's so much wine out there and they there seems to be a market for... Yeah, regions become your destination then. Yeah, yeah and, but, and I also feel like wine kind of, it's so location specific yeah. and people... And I think that's where whiskey will go, where mm-hmm. like we are talking, having like a Midwest yeah. whiskey style and, and defining these styles geographically because... Everyone everywhere is making, I, what is there, a distillery in every single state now, or at least one? Yeah, there's at least one, yeah. So how are you going to differentiate yourself? Or maybe you're only going to sell it locally, or... Yeah. I mean, there's a place um, like Glacier Distilling. It's right outside of uh, uh, Glacier State Park. They just have, rely completely on the millions of people that visit that park every year, and they just sell right out of their little still. Right. Yeah. They so there's it. yeah they don't they don't need a wide distribution because they have two and a half million people that come by their distillery in three months time span. And it, maybe that's not their goal though to be on every shelf and every yeah, Vinny's. You yeah. know, it's just like we want to make whiskey because we like to make whiskey. This is mm-hmm. what it's going to be. Yeah, I don't know. It definitely depend too. I think on the overrulers, if you for lack of a better term, that control all these markets and and are technically the owners of all these companies, if they keep buying up smaller distilleries and little distilleries like, well, I can get paid out now here for a couple million dollars and go do something else with my life. And I would, I don't know the, obviously the business plans of all these individual large overheads, but they're not going to keep all of them operating if they can just take their barrels and their juice and then go blend it in with something else and have yeah. save costs, save labor cut down expenses and um, be a smart business move, if you will, instead of a smart whiskey move. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you kind of can't blame them. No. For people I mean, who get millions of dollars. Yeah. For- this happened in Peora in the 1800s with the distilleries buying up, um, large distilleries buying up basically every small distillery possible and taking their juice and doing that and basically making them obsolete distilleries. So hopefully that history doesn't repeat itself in that sense, but... I guess it very could since there is like over 2,000 distilleries in, in America. And that some, is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then think all the ones, I mean, they have ones from Australia now coming in here. Yeah. yeah. If ones from all over the world coming in and competing. Like there's, you know, there's French distilleries doing well. There's, you know, like you said, with Cavalon coming in here. We have all these Indian spirits coming in here where they have a huge market of drinking a bunch of single malt whiskey over there in the country and uh, buying whiskey from around the world and now creating it, their own whiskey and bringing it out to markets across, you know, across the ocean and seeing how they can compete with the bourbons and the single malts and all the Irish whiskeys too. So Yeah, and I think that then you look at like even the Japanese whiskey market where mm-hmm. they came in... Sorry really, I left you guys out, Japanese whiskey. <laughs> like, you know, branding really hard and all yeah. of a sudden that's kind of backfired. <laughs> and now every time you hear about Japanese whiskey, it's that they're taking another age statement off the market because they just don't have it every, 
or they don't have the stock. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an interesting thing where your success can also kind of hinder yeah. everything that you're doing. Or maybe not. Maybe that's not how they look at it. No. I mean, obviously, it's massively successful around the world, which is great. But then you can't really... Expand the rate you want, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's detrimental, obviously. And uh, are you putting out what you want if you can't age something as long as you feel like it should be? That's why I, f- I start with all these smaller craft distilleries. You wonder that. like, And people ask me that about our whiskey, and I'm like, no, this is where we want it. It might taste younger to you, um, and it could, certainly. But it's like, do you, do you want to keep putting out 18-month, two-year-old whiskey for some of these craft distilleries here in the U.S.? And the ones that... Like locally here in the Midwest, some of them were putting that out. I'm like, God, I don't think they're going to last. And now, like two years later, they have four year old whiskey. It's really good. Yeah. It's just a matter of like, can they get the marketing behind them, get the expansion behind them, stay present in people's minds too enough where, because every other month, you know, you see another one pop up on the shelf. Like, what's that? That looks pretty good. And yeah. you try it and it might be really good. And you lose a customer that way. We've talked a lot about kind of how Pinhook and um, New Riff and Bardstown have come into the market here in Chicago over the last you know, three, four, five, six months and have really become these darlings of bourbon and rye. And definitely, I would say, taking over the capacity for other people to think about the local spirits that are still being made here. Like, oh. Well, and again, it's a price point, too. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that, about, you know, if, if they're craft distilleries and they're really expensive, yeah. are people going to still buy that because it's local or are they going to buy something that they feel is you know a better price for their what they're getting mm-hmm. for you know whatever that means like back to that transparency conversation yeah about telling them why is this bottle so expensive here at our distillery for 55 dollars or whatever it may be it's because we're a small distillery trying to keep our lights on i get we have to make yeah. a higher profit margin to make up for all the costs that we've put into this distillery over the last five ten years or however long it may may have existed yeah and even a lot of local distilleries use very expensive grains, too, because they want to be organic or use local farmers to work with. And with that comes a higher cost rate. So each bottle is going to cost a little bit more. And I think that education to get out there and tell people about it, even trying to get it on the bottle somehow and explain that in the label, it might help. Um, then again, not everyone's always going to read the back of the label. But having it out there and making it up, making the consumer decide for them versus going out there and really search for it and not be a part of the the no market until you actually talk about it when somebody asks you the question. Because yeah. Taylor was talking about that. He'd be like, you know, he'll call, he's like, well, I know all this information about some of these, um, excuse me, Buffalo Trace barrels because I called them and asked them. It's not like they're out there putting it on the labels and yeah. not every person's going to do that, obviously. And I, I think that there, it's easy for, like us whiskey nerds to assume that we want this stuff on the label, mm. but there's probably a whole bunch of people who don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, yeah. I don't know, good? I'm going to buy this and I, this is what I buy. This is what I always buy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what it's, you know, yeah. I, I think that some people don't overthink. I mean, I know this comes as a shock to us, but I think some people don't overthink their whiskey. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, and people are just like, Oh, I did taste good. I don't really care what grain it's from or mm-hmm. how long it's aged or whatever. I think eventually, like, the more you drink, you kind of start to care about that stuff, too. Yeah. Like, where, how where were you at when you first started drinking whiskey? What were the questions you were had in your mind? Do you remember? <laughs> I mean, it was a long time ago. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I... At I'm, least when you started evolving into things outside of... A, just, of, like, Jack yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I, I think I was trying to find information on it, but there wasn't... That was, it's like, true. before you could, like... Before everyone had a whiskey blog, you know? And, and yeah. Before there was... 
400 different review sites where you could get that information. And websites didn't have a ton of information, personal websites of the distilleries, and people didn't know how to use Instagram and Twitter back then. Yeah, so so that was, like, before that time. So I think that, like, I was always kind of curious, like, why I liked some bottles over others, but then you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know, I just like it because I like it. And then Mm. I didn't, I don't even think I really knew that, there was so much into it. And I even feel like that now, like every time I feel like I've kind of like gotten a good grasp on what I know about whiskey, it's like I fall down a rabbit hole of like wood types or something completely batshit crazy where (laughs) I was explaining something the other day and someone said, how do you know about all this wood? And it's like, well, I just wanted to learn about barrels one day. And then all of a sudden I was reading about French oak. And and I was like, I don't even give a shit about this. (laughs) You do fall down those rabbit holes really quickly. Yeah. In fact, I was in Italy at a Mm. winery and I kept asking these random questions. And finally the woman looks at me, she goes, what do you do for a living? And I was like, are you you a spy? I think I was, she's like, you're getting close to like asking the right questions, but they're off. And I was like, oh, well, I'm a big whiskey drinker. She's Mm. like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like she, you know, it's just such a different industry, but yeah. like I was asking her about wood and this and this, and, and she's going, what the hell do you care about this for? Yeah. So just a little bit of loss in translation. Yeah. And then like she's I like, was oh, telling that you, makes I, I could speak or understand Portuguese, but they're talking Spanish instead. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a little basis of it. Yeah. And when I asked her about the wood types, that's when she finally just goes, what? And I was like, well, I, you know, mm-hmm. nerd out about whiskey and I know about this and this. And so, when you're writing about your travels and writing about distilleries and the whiskeys you drank, what do you feel is your responsibility as a writer to provide to your to your um, readers? One of the things I don't do is I don't provide a lot of tasting notes, yeah. and that's on purpose. Like yeah. even on Instagram and stuff like that, I feel that like my everyone's palate is different, and I can go off all day about <laughs> what I think it tastes like, but. I mentioned to you, I don't eat fruit. So I have a really hard time like being like, oh, plum notes. Like that does not occur to me. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever had a plum. So I... You pair spirits with (laughs) pineapple? No, you said chocolate and pineapple. And I was like, does that go together? (laughs) With uh, whatever I was drinking in Portugal, I guess it did. No, that sounds so wrong. But so I don't like to tell someone what they should taste because they're not going to taste the same thing it also doesn't matter why what i taste Mm. because if i like it i like it if you like it you should like it. you know and so when people ask like oh what's your favorite whiskey like well i'm not going to tell you to go buy it just because i like it Mm. you know but so i mostly try to give background if i'm writing about a whiskey it's going to be like what is that what is the story of this bottle whether it be location and all of these things that go in it or even the inspiration behind it what why did they choose these barrels? Why did they switch this around if they switch something around? Or, um, But when it comes to, like, a distillery, it's mostly about um, kind of both if you're going to go there, what to know, and also if you're not going to go there, but you wish you could. Yeah. You know, kind of like, what do they call it, like, armchair traveling, you yeah. know? So I kind of try to do a review about just what the experience was like. Yeah, I think your guide to Chicago really um, 
exemplifies that too um, with everything. Yeah, it's like cool because you like you, talk, you just separate it out between you're looking for single malt, if you're looking for cocktails, if you're looking for whiskey cocktails on there. Kind of because every bar is so different. Yeah, like everyone's like, oh, I need to go to Delilah's. I'm in Chicago. It's like okay, but you're not gonna have a cocktail. Understand yeah. that? Like, you're just gonna. I mean, you might get a highball with some soda water, but that's yeah. about it. Or a Jack and Coke. I think they might pour that. I honestly don't. Do they even, even have Coke? I don't even know. I, I don't know. <laughs> they they do have their guns underneath the. When we say I, they have their liquid guns. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it is Chicago, so you never know. Um, but, no, it's safe in Lincoln Park, usually, sometimes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, but they do have, yeah, I guess they can spray something. I've, I have had soda water there before. So there was one night I was not drinking, but I was there very late, and I was just drinking soda water the entire night. So there is that capable capability of it. But, you know, so many bars are different here. The, the bar I was telling you about that has pizza... <laughs> beer and cocktails they only have six whiskeys so it's basically everything's old forester and i think two or three craft whiskeys but so if you're not going to go there to drink whiskey you can get a cocktail and have a beer yeah but everywhere else is so much um so diverse when it comes to how particular we are about our bars now when i have another article about where to go if you're like d- depending on whatever spirit you drink yeah and i uh I kind of shit on whiskey or I shit on vodka all the time because I just don't understand why people drink a spirit that doesn't taste like anything. And so I constantly make fun of my friends that drink vodka. Or why they pay $25 for a bottle. <laughs> There's like yeah. I'm like, it's just still to taste like nothing. Why would you drink this? And like, so it's I okay think to have, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of vodka for like $10 for a bottle to make cocktails with, but but why make a vodka cocktail when you can make a whiskey cocktail? Oh, I make, or ap- like a oh, see, I make Aperol spritzes with vodka. I mean, and tonic I, I, water and orange and some orange bitters. It's very refreshing. Sounds so much work. <laughs> it sounds like so, much so work. simple. <laughs> it's great for walking your dog in the summertime. Oh my god! <laughs> you even need a drink to do that. <laughs> Sometimes it's refreshing. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, I, I, um, I think that's how I started drinking whiskey. Like, as a as a young young woman in Utah was that my friends were drinking vodka and whatever mm. the hell they had to mix with it and yeah. I was like you know instead of bringing two bottles with you you could just bring one that doesn't taste like shit and so that was how I started drinking whiskey was that. that I didn't have to mix it and then you know we went to those parties I don't know what they're called here but we used to call them like juicers where like people make jungle juice oh, in like a cooler okay. that's probably never been cleaned mm-hmm. and they just throw in a bunch of crap and like let it marinate all day and a bunch of fruit, which yep. I was not going to eat anyway. And then it's Obviously. like, probably has like weird mold on the cooler and like everyone's drinking it. And I was like, nah, it's cool. I got my bottle of whiskey. Everyone got hep C from it. <laughs> yeah, no one knew why. Yeah. yeah. That's, I was like, no, it's cool. I got my whiskey. That's not drugged or yeah. tainted with mold. That's so. also a good point. Yeah. Yeah. You're a little too trusting those days. I don't think I've actually ever been to a party like that. Yeah, well, in Utah, we had to be very creative. Ah, yeah, I get that. I know I heard of them before, but I think my parents went to parties like that in college. They called them jungle juice parties. Well, Utah's like 15 years behind the rest of the world, so that would make sense. I grew up in <laughs> Iowa. It's not like we're very advanced there. We have some great farming industry there. If my Utah friends listen to this, they're going to be so mad at me for talking shit. Hey, someone's got to be a loyalist to it, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a great place if you like to ski, which I don't do anymore. <laughs> Why not? Um, it's so expensive. Oh, yeah. Good point. And it's so cold. If I wanted to be cold, I'd just stay in Chicago in the winter. You get some head injuries really easy, too. Well, and it's also like if I sprain my ankle, I can't. I walk around here. Oh. Like, I can't get to work. Who's going to buy my groceries, you know? I don't know. You have, oh, you can get uh, Instacart. 
Yeah, but they never do a good job. I'm sure they don't. Yeah, they, like, give you weird stuff. I was at the grocery store today, and it was all Instacart people, and I think my wife and I were the only ones in there that weren't. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's why people don't go to the grocery store at 8 o'clock on a Monday. But That is really early to be at the grocery store. Yeah, I got suckered into it. That's what I'm going to do after this. Oh, exciting. Yeah. My day off. Big MLK Day plans. Yeah, this is my life. I write about random crap and then go to the grocery store. <laughs> Sounds delightful. And now Wilson is two hours and 42 minutes late. And I haven't heard from him. What a jerk. Is so, he still alive? Like, do we need to, like, do, like, a wellness check f- on him? Oh, I have an email. Maybe it's from him. He's never emailed before, I don't think, in my life. Nope, it's not from him. But, well, that's just bad. He missed out. He doesn't yeah. get to ask you about all of your pumps and bottle shots. Oh, yeah. I guess we should We may, might we acknowledge need to, that. We should explain what that is. Okay. Because... I think it's... I, I think the reason... I'll let you explain it all, obviously, but the reason why you do it, I love so much. Oh, yeah, because you've heard the whole, whole yeah, story. We've talk, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it, but just a different different way of not being generic about bottle shots. Yeah, <laughs> so I, on my Instagram, have a hashtag called whiskey with my shoes, mm. and it's bottles of whiskey with my, usually they're high heels, but not all the time. But um, it began as a way to not, I knew I couldn't compete with the people who were, you know, hiking to these elaborate places with their whiskey. Like They're not that elaborate. Yeah, but I, I'm they not going to do like that. They are, yeah. <laughs> we don't know where to hike either. <laughs> yeah, like where am I going to go hiking yeah. to do this? And then um, and what shoes would I wear? Because I only have high heels. It'd be, you know, there's a way too many things to think about. And then I wasn't going to compete with these people buying three and $400 bottles of whiskey mm-hmm. because... A, I can't afford to. B, I think there's so many good whiskeys under $100 that there's that should not be overlooked. And so I was trying to think of a creative way to showcase whiskey without it being elaborate and actually, like, super time-consuming. Yeah. <laughs> and I figured out that I had a lot of pairs of shoes that happened to be the same color as whiskey bottles I had. <laughs> and so it became kind of a thing. And it slowly evolved from there to showcasing now shoes. But I people yeah. always ask, like, what what do I have more of? <laughs> <laughs> do you have more whiskey or do you have more shoes? I'm like, well, it's, you know. Does it count, one pair count as a shoe? No, I mean, like, that has to be, like, a pair. Okay. So. Well, what, what's the answer? I have more whiskey. I figured. Yeah. It seems a little bit easier to go through. Yeah, because it's like I can't share my shoes, exactly. you know, with people. So yeah. it's like not as fun, and which is sad because like I used to have so many pairs of shoes and now I'd rather go buy whiskey. <laughs> so, like what is the world coming to? But I think I only understand this because I live with a woman, but <laughs> I had to cut her off from buying sh- like this year. I'm like, you, you can't get any pairs of shoes, boots specifically, and no coats for Christmas because she has so many coats. And so many yeah, pairs of boots. Yeah, but you live in Chicago. I mean, That's her excuse, but I'm like, I haven't bought a winter coat in five years. I mean, then the shoe thing, you know, they, like, wear out. I understand all of this. I I mean, I I get it, but I think at some point for a two-bedroom apartment with a large dog, you still have the space for it. But you have that whole other bedroom that you can It's the dog's bedroom. (laughs) It's my office. I live in a studio, so it's like I have whiskey just coming out. Like, it's just overtaking my, like, shelves of, like, what should be decorations. And then my whole closet is just becoming shoes. Oh, you decorate your shelves with whiskey as well? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, same here. And Glencairns. They're just everywhere. Like, we'll have, like, a nice, like, I don't know, like, 
I don't know what we have on our shelves, to be honest with you. But let's say, for lack of a better term, some kind of crystal thing. But like, well, that bottle of whiskey looks good with it, so we'll put the next to it. <laughs> yeah, because it's <laughs> a way just of running disguising out of, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't fit all of our shelves in our uh, kitchen, so. Yeah. yeah, I have had to, like, buy furniture for my whiskey, mm-hmm. and I don't even have that much. And so it's, it's getting... Do you have, like, a hundred bottles? Not even a hundred. Oh, okay. I don't think. That surprises me. I figured you probably had at least that... Well, I do try to drink them. Yeah. Now, well, so. that's the thing, too. Yeah. Like, I appreciate about you is that you drink them, share them, talk about them, yeah. actually have a relationship with them versus just them sitting on your shelf. Yeah. I don't believe in that. Same. And I feel like I've met some master blenders and master distillers, mm. and they don't want you to just stare exactly. at your whiskey. They want you, they worked really hard so that you'll drink it. And or just show it off on Instagram. I mean, if I can do both. Yeah. You know. But exactly. yeah, so I try to consume, I try to share, like I'm always trying to like mm-hmm. have people over and try this, you know. Definitely. So. No, it, it's only one bottle of whiskey that I won't open until a certain point. Is I don't that know your when. wedding one? That one's open. Um, the bottle I have, uh, my grandfather was an engineer at Jim Beam. Oh, okay. And when he retired, he retired the same year as Booker Beam died. Booker, no, died. So uh, he autographed one bottle of Booker's to my grandpa. That bottle's empty. And then Fred No, who's now the current master distiller, he autographed another one with a message on it. And so that one's still full. And it's been preserved very well. So it's from 2004. Ooh. And it's seven-year-old whiskey. So, yeah, it's it's cool just to have and wait for the right moment to enjoy it. So maybe it'll be, like, the last drink I could have with my grandpa before, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah that so, would be cool. Yeah, but so something like that. But uh, other than that, yes, whiskey should be um, shared. I like to share our wedding bottle, but my wife just scorns me for it every time I do. She's <laughs> like, you're sharing that? I'm like, it's been open for over a year and a half. Like, I don't know how good it's going to taste, you know, if it stays open for this period of time. But, you know. I like the mentality of uh, sharing whiskey and have it meant to be drank because any great distiller, any person who truly is passionate and enjoys whiskey will tell you that as well. I agree. And I think part of what I love about whiskey is also the experience of tasting it with people and friends and like yeah. even bottles that are like, I don't have anything super rare, but just like, you know, your one-offs that I'm never going to be able to get to again. Mm-hmm. And it's still fun to like share it with people and be like, oh yeah, this is, you know, I drank this whole bottle, but I had all these experiences and we bonded over this. And I really think that's cool. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think my favorite photo is the high West one you have. When like, <laughs> yeah. I like the ones when you get like really creative, like when the shoes are up in the air. Yeah. That's cool. Um, that one I dr- I was pouring. So I take all my pictures by myself on like a timer. Yep. And so I had to like trigger the timer and then fling my arms up in the air to pour this. And I poured it on my face cause I was <laughs> laying on my back and I'm just like, really? And then some of it dripped on my arm and I did lick it off. I can't waste this. Yeah. You know? well, which, so. which high West was it? Um, it was probably the campfire. Okay, cool. I'm, I think so. Yeah. Nice. Always doing good stuff. Are you a loyalist to them as well? Um, I like, yes, because I like that they're changing the stigma of, mm. you know, you hear whiskey in Utah and people are like, wait, what? And I, I love that. And now that they're everywhere and, um, uh, I did just try their single malt. They just yeah. debuted a single malt and, and I just like that. Yeah. It's kind of like my little craft distillery in Utah, you know, Definitely. So, yeah. and their, their stuff changes all the time. Like some of their stuff was a lot different this past time I was there hmm. than it has been for 
you know, I think it's been a year since I like bought some of their stuff because okay. I just drink it really slowly. And so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to see it evolve and they're putting more of their own stuff in it versus what they're sourcing. Yep. So yeah, that's fun. I think they're upfront about that too. About, yeah. Hey, like we started at this point as a distillery and they make good juice too. And bundling it together to make really great whiskey. So yeah, it's all you can ask for. And hopefully distilleries will talk about that as we talked about on our previous podcast with Taylor. It's like, but it'd be great if more of those distilleries put that on the label where it was readable as well. <laughs> yeah. Without getting, where you didn't have to dissect yeah, what that means. Yeah, a microscope out to fully detail it all. But no, it's good. Um, that's one of the best, you know, whiskey, craft whiskey distillers you can have. So it's good, it's good to support them, wear a hat for them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Wilson didn't show up, it looks like. Yeah. We're about an hour, 20 minutes into our conversation. Just flew by. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Um, but is there anything you want to promote, talk about before we uh, take off? Um, if you are a woman, join Women Who Whiskey. Do it, yeah. Super awesome. I'm sure it's an awesome way to just, like, make new friends in the city, too. Yeah, and I, I that's I love when I see people, like, exchanging numbers. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, so people have, like, legit become friends from there, which is super awesome. People have legit found new whiskeys to drink, also super awesome. So um, that's cool. That's, I really, I've been promoting myself the whole time, so I guess that's, that's enough. Awesome. Well, so. go read Kelly's stuff. Look at her pictures. If you're a lady or even a guy who likes high heels, you know, <laughs> that's your cup of tea. Enjoy that, too, because there's some really great photography that she all does herself. Um, Thank you. And uh, every time we hang out, it's always a great conversation over, uh, usually over whiskey, but you are doing a dry January right now. Yeah, I know. Look at me. Yeah. I have till tomorrow. I look yeah. at my as watch. You, as like, you're oh sitting in a brewery, <laughs> have a bottle of whiskey sitting here unopened. I have brought this bottle to probably like four podcasts and we've never opened it. Oh, next time. <laughs> Just get lost in the conversation. So well, I, thank you so much. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for coming out. Um, this is Jake, uh, not here with Wilson. So, Wilson, suck it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can uh, find us at Key in the Lake, keyinthelake.com to listen to all 55 now uh, podcasts that we've done, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. We're almost approaching our one-year mark of uh, recording our first podcast next month. Yeah. So we're getting there. Um, but, uh, guys, I always appreciate the support um, that's out there. We're kind of gaining more uh, more followers. It looks like more people are listening to the podcast. And I can only credit you, the fans who are out there talking about us and throwing it out there to your friends to listen to. And that's all we really want to do is talk about whiskey and uh, have you guys join the conversation, too, over the Internet. Because, like everybody, as Kelly said, we're on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Other than that, guys, enjoy the rest of your week and cheers. Cheers.